Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey guys, you ready to let the dogs out? Hey, ready? Ready. Set? Set. One, two, three, go! You know my name, but who are you? Wesley. Here is what the truth is. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesley demands. <laughs> it's funny because he's fat. It's already been in the human form. Shoot it! Don't presume to tell me what I will and will not do. You don't know me. Well, what's your real name? Iris. Oh, Iris. Well, what's wrong with that? A proud daughter of these hills. What are we going to do? They insist on outside opinions. What kind of opinions? Well, your kind not to put too fine a point on it. I mean, let's face it, in your particular field, you're the top minds. Whatever, whatever. So the moral is, don't <laughs> do drugs. That's it. What up? Welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm Iris. I'm your co-host. I'm with my brother. What's your name? Wesley. And we are talking today about Dark Waters. Dark Waters. I am also officially announcing that I am changing the title of this podcast. To? Wesley Against the World. Uh-oh. I yep. haven't... Okay. Is that, and starting with Dark Waters, your review is going to be a, a counter to other people's reviews? No, we're just, I'm just going to spend most of this review defending myself for trashing this movie. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. Dark Waters, Mark Ruffalo, Passion Project, about the DuPont Teflon scandal. Definitely a passion project. Mark Ruffalo is a noted, maybe not environmentalist, but an activist for sure. Uh, I don't really know much about him personally. I know that he is homeless chic, even if he's in a three-piece suit. And I know that his wife makes jewelry. That's about my extent of my <laughs> personal knowledge about Mark Ruffalo. The only important knowledge is whether or not Mark Ruffalo is a good filmmaker particularly a good actor, which I, I think he is. I've been a Mark Ruffalo fan for a long time. Uh, I don't recall any movies that he's produced before, and I think that it's on brand for sure. For him? That this be the type of movie that he would want to make, yes. Yeah, it seemed like he saw the success of Spotlight and was like, this is my Spotlight. Yeah, he's been he's pretty active on social media in terms of get, trying to get people uh, to, to be active participants. Made no secret in this movie. He said that uh, we can't rely on the government. We can't rely on anybody but ourselves. We're the ones who have to make the change. Okay. Dark Waters 
is based on an article. The New York Times featured an article called The Lawyer Who Became DuPont's Worst Nightmare about Rob Ballot, the character that Mark Ruffalo plays. And it didn't cite it anywhere in the credits, but the movie did reference The Devil We Know. The Devil We Know was a Sundance documentary directed by Stephanie Soteg and edited by your brother-in-law and chronicles the same scandal and uses almost verbatim some of the same data or stats. Um, it's a little weird to see a narrative film use data and stats at the end like a documentary. In some ways this felt like a documentary and it certainly seemed to borrow from the documentary even if it didn't cite it or reference it directly. And that, unfortunately, is exactly my problem. I think that this movie didn't feel like a documentary to me. It felt like a drama that they were really trying to ramp up tension and uncertainty about uh, in all the wrong ways. I think this movie would have been better served as a documentary, so now I have to watch The Devil We Know. But uh, it's actually a much better title, in fact, than Dark Waters. It was just so clearly trying to infuse dramatic elements and to, to dramatize an already scary story mm -hmm. that I feel like it really didn't work. Uh, I did read the article and I feel like almost word for word, is that almost as though they used this article for a screenplay. Oh, interesting. Like it's transcribed or it's like a transcript of the article. Well, he talks about how he had no idea that uh, what DuPont was up to until the farmer tenant showed up at his office uh, and would have disregarded him entirely until he tenant mentioned his grandmother, which stopped Billot cold in his tracks. It just almost seemed like a treatment oh, for yeah. this movie. Oh, interesting. So in that way, I think down the line, this movie was presented in a very straightforward manner, uh, trying to infuse as much drama and tension into it as possible and misstepped kind of every way. It was just so pat and convenient hmm. for me. The, the fact that he would go there and at just at that moment, the cow would choose to attack. Right. And the dog is going crazy and on the verge of zombieism. Right. right. And then he would pass the girl and she would grin with the blackest teeth that no eight-year-old should ever have. Right. Now, and not, and he would not notice it or make a connection to it so earlier. So here's the, the problem. The reason I'm changing the name of our podcast is like Harriet... And like certainly other environmental movies and uh, and movies about injustice, this story demands to be told. It's a terrifying concept, right? The truth behind this movie deserves a much better movie. So telegraphing my review, the only reason that this movie doesn't get an abysmal review of Nope from me is the fact that the story needs to be told and needs to be heard. And people will defend this movie on those grounds alone. I'm telling you it's a bad movie for the way it was presented. Huh. I was never in this movie. As a matter of fact, the movie frustrated me enough so that I felt it took away from what was really happening. Yeah. I thought the heroism of Mark Ruffalo's character ultimately sitting in for every single person who was forced to take their claims to court because DuPont reneged on their agreement to settle or, you know, given the, the findings of the independent judiciary committee was the briefest glimpse of sort of heroism and was supposed to be a happy ending, I guess. DuPont finally paid for their mistakes, except they didn't, except the $600 million that they paid out is pocket change. Yeah, they paid, they make a billion dollars a year on Teflon and yet they so the 600 million that they paid in damages to these people who are dying is not, not only is it not, not is it pocket change to them 
but there's no amount of money that you can pay for someone's health or someone's death. Right. What they proposed and, in the meeting when DuPont was initially proposing a settlement was $60 million that that uh, Rob spoke up and said, yeah, that's like three days of your of your profits. Right. Right. So in the larger scheme, the $600 million that they settled for was 600 plus was about a month, about a month's worth of their profits. And they have been doing this and had been doing this at that point for decades. Right. And also, according to the stats at the end, C8 isn't everybody. And to what extent it's affecting people is probably not recorded or or to be seen. But um, the effect of this contamination is worldwide and ubiquitous. And there's nothing that DuPont is being challenged to do for that. And so I think this movie has a very strong message. It doesn't have a very strong story. It doesn't have very strong performances. I was a little bit excited about this cast. And a lot of these great actors were wasted in their roles. Like Anne Hathaway's role was pretty throwaway. Um, I'm sure she made your top 10 list of bad hairdos, especially in the younger version. Um, I reserved that comment, but I will not contest it here. I didn't say it out loud. Yes. But I don't disagree with you. Yeah. Uh, She had terrible hair. And uh, ironically, she and Mark Ruffalo seemed to age down as the movie progressed in its timeline. (laughs) Like they started out looking really old and kind of frumpy and then they ended up looking kind of fresh and a little younger. Yeah, it was bad. It was definitely bad hair. As her hair got longer, she got younger. Exactly. But he also seemed to get, like he started kind of real super dumpy and um, he seemed to thin out over time. It was kind of bizarre. But then I'm talking about Anne Hathaway just kind of being wasted in this role um, which gave her nothing to um, show her chops. Tim Robbins, likewise, wasted. Bill Pullman, total throwaway. I mean, even Victor Garber, who was a pretty good bad guy, could have been anybody, really, in this role. I agree across the board. I think that the sort of pat, convenient, rudimentary storytelling that they employed here gave the actors no wiggle room whatsoever. Rob would come home and his wife would be, what are you doing? You scared me. You're crazy. You're not crazy. She was like a long, yeah, she was a total long suffering wife who was a mannequin at his social functions and appropriately maybe bitchy at times, but really had served no real story function. Not a lot of wiggle room or room for nuance. Unfortunately, this whole felt thing felt like a, an environmental disaster on a very special episode of Mr. Rogers. <laughs> it was paint by numbers. The entire movie. The idea that DuPont would wheel in a whole warehouse worth of boxes, that he would go through like Indiana Jones in the storeroom where the, the Ark of the Covenant is kept and find every terrible picture that DuPont would never want you to see. Total full disclosure in a convenient way that allows him to piece everything together. Like why would they photo document the uh, the horrible things that were going on and then provide them to him. Right. If they're self-regulating and they have the ability to cover up whatever they needed to to protect their vast billions, it just seemed like he had every photograph and every piece of information at his hands when he needed it that was convenient to tell the story. The idea of running into Bucky so conveniently Oh and, yeah, uh, at know, the gas station. And driving away. And, and, and he shows up and he looks exactly like 
you know, obviously his real pictures of Bucky. And then the lady saying, come on, Bucky, we have to go. We're going to be late. And I leaned over to Kelly and I said, who was that guy? (laughs) Because there was no way that you could possibly not know that it was Bucky because the filmmakers don't trust you that much that they would hit you over the head with the information. And that's when I started to turn and when I started to get angry. It was frustrating to me that these were all real people representing themselves in the movie. The fact that all these people were so invested and and wanted to be a part of this movie that I think failed so spectacularly in its narrative platform in a way that I got exactly the same experience with less eye-rolling from reading the article or would have from a documentary that was uh, more precisely told and didn't resort to sort of ham-handed storytelling and unnecessary ramping up or amping up of drama. So if the order were different for you and you had read the article and seen the documentary prior to seeing Dark Waters, would you feel that Dark Waters was completely redundant and unnecessary? Absolutely. I felt that at first when I was just I sort of clung to the new tidbits of information and what was factual and what wasn't. And I thought that narratively speaking and dramatically speaking, it fell flat across the board. I will say the only thing that I think felt that resonated stylistically with me in a way that I appreciated was when things finally came together and we weren't able quite to keep up with what was happening because we weren't given all the information that the Rob character had at in his possession. But then when he started to explain, when he sat his wife down at the kitchen table mm-hmm. and said, you know, that he would give it up if she didn't come to understand. And he told her the entire story right. in a way that segued from him to the telling of the Tim Robbins character, his boss to the, you know, ta- talking to the, who was it? The EPA directly. And that sort of narrative device of, of, of disseminating that information to everybody who needed to hear it, I thought was really effective. And, it, and at the same time, finally brought us around in a big way to uh, understand exactly what he was up against and the gravity and scope that he had put together. Yeah, the movie did gain some momentum in that scene. And it was also a refreshingly different performance from Mark Ruffalo as Rob Ballot. I think he was really frustratingly tight-lipped and reticent for the first half or two thirds in the movie at that point and would give his wife like these, you know, deadpan stares and in the face of her frustration. And I think that I similarly felt, felt that way, felt frustrated with him. Like, all right, I get it. Like you're buried in this story and you're consumed with it and stuff like that, but let us in a little bit. But didn't you get to know the Rob Ballot look from Mark Ruffalo in this like- That's it. Every single scene you see him, he's like kind of frowny faced. In all future Mark Ruffalo performances, there it is, the Rob Ballot look. <laughs> exactly. It's like right up there with the Leonardo DiCaprio finger and the, I don't know, um, who else has performance tics? The, the, the De Niro face? The, Niro, the De Niro face, sure. The, uh, the Tom Cruise run. I thought, I wonder... Um, it was. It, it seemed totally off that this serious film about a very serious and frightening subject did this cutesy thing where they put all of the real people in as act, as background actors. Yes. At the end, when they identified all the real people, were you supposed to be like, aw? 
Like what? I don't. What reaction was that supposed to elicit? It was like those are the real people. It's. I think it's supposed to bring it home in the idea that this is not a, a fictional story. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline that we're being presented with, here are the real people. Like, that kid is not a concept. He's not a receptor, as they called him. But rather, Bucky is an actual person who is here and wants to have his voice and face on screen to drive home how real this scandal is. Well, they could have just as well said, and by the way, all of the archival was actual and factual. Like, they didn't go to great pains to point out that the footage of the cows was real, or that the or that Bucky's baby pictures were real. like, And that's sort of my problem. The fact that all that stuff was real actually took away from its dramatic effectiveness because I did not know that that footage was the real footage taken by an amateur West Virginia farmer. And it was annoyingly unclear. Oh, yeah. Like it would have been better and served if they had recreated it so that it was clear. Yes. It, it would have been more effective... If this movie had been not polished, but presented in a way that was more dramatically effective, just because you have things that are real doesn't mean that they translate well on screen. The article stated that tenant, uh, the farmer had an almost unintelligible West Virginia accent. That's not something that needed to be communicated directly and literally on screen. I had no idea what that guy was saying. It was frustrating. His voice didn't yeah. match the person he was. No. It was very ineffective storytelling. Uh, so He was barking and growling the entire time. Like even in the fancy high-rise Cincinnati office, he's like, row, 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 row. couldn't understand him. And it really took away from the movie. I think this movie was bookended by two indicative sets of circumstances that led us to understand what kind of movie and how effective this movie was. One was the, the actor who played Tennant being totally unintelligible in a way that may have been true to life, but definitely was distracting. And at the end, when we had Johnny Cash perform his cover of Tom Petty's I Won't Back Down, it was the most straightforward, on the nose, non-colorful version of a good song that I've ever heard. And I won't back down, gonna stand my ground. Johnny Cash had no nuance for these covers. Anybody, you know, these, these might have been covers uh, from a kid with a guitar at the mall. <laughs> there was just no per no personality. And in that way, this took a, a, a hugely terrifying, dramatic story and presented it so by the numbers and paint by numbers that it was really frustrating. I think there's two important things for me to note. One, I didn't really think this movie was all that bad. And two... We're not dogging on this film just because it's fun. You said this frustration that you're feeling, that you're expressing, comes from the fact that you feel like this story, this true story, deserves better. I will concede that I was in a bad mood after hearing 
all the terrifying details over which I had no control, the fact that this story had to be brought to me, by and large, by a less-than movie. Yes, certainly, thematically, and for the stuff that they had to work with, um, all very scary in its own right. But then I was forced to separate that from the fact that this information was being delivered to me in a crappy vehicle. I think this movie can be compared to the definitely more engaging, better made movie about environmental uh, disasters and cover-ups. You remember Promised Land, Matt Damon oh, and yeah. John Krasinski? Yeah, much more effective movie, much more engaging on a human level, more personal interactions. And you can see um, how these people were affected and how it affected their lives as opposed to how angry it made them and how grumpy they were as a result. Yeah, they or in were... this case, how, how, you know, deformed they were as a result. Terrible, horrible things that I just never felt on an emotional level through mm -hmm. this movie, Dark Waters. Yeah, I think that this movie was... I think this movie had some things working against it. I mean, in its defense, it had a very long timeline to cover. What was it? 15 years in total? And then also, it's a, it's a tricky subject. How do you pare down something that's so important to its essentials, right? You can, it's easy to get caught up in the details. It's easy to get caught up in wanting to include them all because they're important from a factual, realistic standpoint. But even though they may not work from like a dramatic standpoint. I mean, this could have been, it's possible that this movie was just kind of a hard movie to pull off. The answer is you don't. You let the story be told in other mediums. In the article, you let it lie. A capable documentary that seems to be effective, that, that serves its purpose. This movie, I felt, wasn't necessary. But think about it this way. Like, there's a certain segment of the population that doesn't watch documentaries. There are some people who don't read articles and a feature film is such an accessible medium. If it has the ability to reach people who don't watch documentaries and who don't read articles, shouldn't this story be told in a feature film? Shouldn't that kind of be enough given how important the story is? I can understand what you're saying. There are lots of people who love and get off on bad movies. It is not a well-made movie, but people love this kind of stuff. Um, it's, but I certainly can't recommend it. Couldn't this just be like a B movie dramatic film, or couldn't yes, this just? Yes, and it be? is. I will never recommend those films for viewing. This is a movie podcast, not an environmental disaster podcast. That well, no. Now this is Wesley against the world, so I'm going to stand my ground. The risk in this movie is real, and the motion picture built around it was total artifice to me. I get it. Not your cup of tea. And I don't know that all that many people disagree with you. I, I mean, I'd be curious to hear more from people who came to this fresh, right? Without really knowing the story, having context for it, etc. Um, and to see if it worked for them, you know, if it was enough and if it, and if it does serve as a springboard for diving deeper into the subject matter, then doesn't seem like a bad thing to me. I mean, I thought it was kind of kind of a good movie. You're entitled to your opinion. Rob Balot, you're a good dude. Mark Ruffalo, you're a good dude. Todd Haynes, you may be a good dude. Your movie is a bad movie. DuPont, you're bad people. You know, it's so funny. Interesting that, you, I mean, like, Todd Haynes, obviously, we spent this entire review talking about Mark Ruffalo and pinning all of this movie's failures on him. 
Nope. Stylistically, he didn't direct it. Todd Haynes did. Um, this movie, he's known for, you know, movies nowhere near this type. Far From Heaven, I'm Not There, Carol, Velvet Goldmine. It's such a diverse body of work that it seems like he's like, you know what, I always wanted to make an environmental conspiracy movie. And then he did it badly. And I don't expect we will see this kind of fare from him again. Yeah, I mean, not a great movie, but not a bad movie. I think for the same reason that the subject matter takes you up a tick from nope to a low whatever, might tip the scale for me. Not a great movie, but probably good, or at least not bad, not boring. Terrifying. Has, yeah. Made me angry. I guess effective in that way. Mm -hmm. It's just okay. I was able to hang my ire on so many flaws. <laughs> all right. So do you feel better now, having vented all of that ire? Yeah, well enough. I need a little bit of a break before I delve into the documentary because this problem doesn't go away. Thankfully, Dark Waters will. That was our review on Dark Waters. Give us a call, 818-835-0473. Let us know what you thought. We'd love to hear from you. We always love to hear from you. Or whatever movies at gmail.com. Wes against the world. We're going to remember this one. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric Hass Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid. Electric acid.